This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. The start of the game last night wasn't ideal. We know we can start better and... You know, we have a lot of leaders in our locker room, uh, a lot of older guys, you know, so we're talking a little bit after the first period and uh, we say what we have to do. And uh, and I think in second and third, we were playing really good. So leaders and the coaches there just we needed a, a better start and uh, a way better second period. And I kind of feel like that gave us the, the jump to get us going. And I feel like we kind of need that boost to, to know we need to dial it in and uh, be ready for the start of second period there. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about those slow starts and changing that trend over the last couple of weeks, maybe even a bit longer. And we'll see if that happens tonight against the Winnipeg Jets, a team Tampa Bay has yet to face this year. You can listen to all that action right here on Lightning Power Play with the pregame starting at 730. And, of course, the game call at 8 o'clock. We've got a busy show for you today and uh, glad you're with us at Bolts Radio. Hit us up on Twitter. Dave Vishkin with me, of course, Steve Ersnick producing coming up in just a bit. We're going to talk to Lightning assistant coach Rob Zettler. Dave had a chance to sit down with him yesterday and uh, a very interesting conversation, particularly about Mikhail Sergachev that we're going to talk about as well. And then later on in the show, he does the play-by-play on the TV side for the Jets. That would be Dennis Bayak. And we'll get a, uh, a little bit of a, a scanner report on Winnipeg. And, you know, partner, it's good to be with you here. One of the things that has always stood out for me over the last few years, kind of like the Nashville Predators, I've always felt like the Winnipeg Jets over in the West for a period of time were considered the best teams in that conference. And for whatever reason, and we can probably get into this with Dennis, but talk about it a bit right now, is they just never – got over that hump and now they're in a position where they're eight points out entering tonight's game of that last wild card spot in the west they may not make the playoffs but it's a little befuddling because they still have some talented players on that roster and i don't know if the window is closed for that core group to make a stanley cup run but i always felt like along with nashville winnipeg was one of those teams that they were really good they just they never were able to get over that hump, and you wonder if they're going to be headed in a different direction from here on out. Well, it's kind of funny that you mentioned Winnipeg and Nashville, because when we were talking about Nashville leading up to the stadium series, we referenced that year when Nashville was the number one seed in the West, and Winnipeg beat them in a Game 7 in Nashville, and that was maybe Nashville's year. It was the year after the Predators had gotten to the Stanley Cup final and lost to the Penguins, but they were kind of an upstart team in the year that they got to the final and lost to the Penguins. The next year, they were expected to go really deep, and they lost in the second round to Winnipeg, which at the time, I guess you would call that an upset where the Jets went into Nashville and won a Game 7, and then Winnipeg had home ice in the next series against Vegas, and they won game one. I think, if memory serves, they won game one fairly convincingly, and then they lost four straight. And that was the year that Vegas got to the Stanley Cup final in its first year in the league and lost to Washington. So that was the same year that Nashville probably had its its best look. I understand that the year before they got to the final, but in terms of kind of their pedigree, and what was expected of them when they entered the playoffs, that was also the Jets' best crack. 
They have not been back to the conference finals since. They've had some bad luck with injuries over the years. There was one year, the year they played in the bubble, they played Calgary and Shifley got hurt, I think, in game one. And they ended up losing that series. It was the best of five. They went out. Last year, they upset Edmonton in four straight. And maybe you think, all right, they've got Montreal in the second round. They have home ice. Maybe they're going to make it to the the final four. And Montreal swept them. So for whatever reason, it hasn't all come together. It sounded like Paul Maurice, who resigned rather unexpectedly earlier this year. The pandemic... Not so much, I mean, I guess, yes, the pandemic, but but having to coach a hockey team through the, the fits and starts of what the pandemic wrought in the NHL took its toll on him, so he stepped down. Dave Lowry, who was one of their assistants, is now the interim head coach and the father of Adam Lowry. I definitely want to talk to Dennis about that dynamic. But Winnipeg has kind of had a middling season. I mean, they're they're not comfortably close to that playoff cut line. Like, they're not within really striking distance. They have 10 overtime shootout losses this year. That's the most in the league. I think this is an example of even if you give them five more wins, let's say they, they split. I think they won three in overtime in the shootout. But let's give them four to five additional wins of the 10 they lost. Changes the complexion greatly. There are only a few points out of the last wild card spot as it stands right now. They're eight points back. That's a that's a long way to go, and they have a lot of teams to jump over. So maybe they're going to be sellers at the deadline. That's something else we can talk to Dennis about. Andrew Kopp is a guy that his name has come up a lot. He's a UFA at the end of the year and kind of a jack-of-all-trades type of player for Winnipeg. He may be a guy that's moved at the deadline. What's interesting about them, they have a lot of really good players on this roster. I mean, from their goaltender to their top six to maybe even their back end. And I'm reading an article in The Athletic, and you and I were discussing this before we came on the air. And the article was suggesting that maybe they're not scoring at the rate this year that we have seen in previous years. But then you look at some of their numbers. You know, Kyle Connor's probably going to mm-hmm. hit 40 goals this year. Shifley's a, almost a point-per-game do- guy. You know, Wheeler... Uh, only seven goals, but Dave, as you pointed out, 38 points, and they are getting some depth He's guys. been injured this year. Yeah, too. and Ehlers has been injured trouble. too, but I mean, he's, you know, he's always dangerous when he takes the ice. So I'm curious, why are they struggling this year? What's going on with their goaltending? And, you know, I'm wondering too, any type of effect the Dustin Bufflin retirement had on that franchise, because he talked to people around the league, Dave, about how versatile he was, but how unique he was as Mm -hmm. a player. A big thumper from the back end who could give you some points, but also could drop the gloves. Uh, He was a guy, I think a couple of years ago, just was injured and and maybe just didn't want to play anymore. And you wonder when that type of personality and that type of player decides not to play anymore, what that does to a franchise Moving forward, a guy who, you know, you thought was probably going to be playing some bigger minutes. I don't know. I'm curious to talk to our our Jets guest about that because I think it is kind of an interesting situation. I don't think you plan on impactful players retiring early. And when it does, how do you react to it? One thing I will say, though, too, when it just bringing it back to the lightning here, uh, they have talked about, you know, being better and and not (laughs) relying on Vassy like they did in that game against Chicago. 
this is a game they've got to be ready for because Winnipeg, they're coming off a couple of, of losses where they generated high shot volumes. Yeah. Uh, Blake Wheeler was talking about this the other, ta- other day that, look, we're seeing the, the defending Stanley Cup champs for the first time in a while. And anytime you do that, this is the biggest game of the year. And whether you want to, whether you believe in that comment or not, one thing we do know, Winnipeg needs as many points as possible from here on out. And the Lightning just better be ready from the start because you got to think the Jets are going to be ready to go. Well, the Lightning should be ready for a team saying this is our biggest game of the year because yeah. that's pretty much been the formula and and the scenario that the Lightning have faced certainly this year and even last year. I mean, it was divisional play only, but everyone knew they were the defending champs. So I think they are going to need to be ready. The Lightning have enough to worry about beyond their opponent they were not happy with how they played on Sunday you'll get that from from the interview with Rob Zettler we didn't talk a lot about the game on Sunday but but we touched on it more toward the end and he was very plain spoken about the fact that the Lightning need to be better and that's probably their biggest goal tonight tighten things up defensively and get off to a good start and the result will be what the result will be, but they don't want to have to navigate their way through a phenomenal Vasilevsky performance, maybe a lucky break here and there with with shots off the post, dodging scoring chances that they allow to the other team and relying on an unworldly shooting percentage. They earned the goals they got, but let's be honest, they scored six goals you know, on what, 32, 33 shots? They can't yep. rely on that game in game out. So that's kind of, I think, on the docket for the Lightning tonight, and we'll see how they do. Well, we're going to get to the interview you did with Rob Zettler coming up in our next segment. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, you can, at Bolts Radio, and uh, we'll talk uh, about that interview on the other side as well. But this should be a good one. Mish sat down with him yesterday, and uh, we'll get that interview for you coming up next on Lightning Power Play. Hey, it's Seth Kushner, host of The Block Party, and we've got Kelly Stedman this week. Kelly now works for the Community Hockey Development with the Lightning. She's a three-time IHF world champion, NWHL champion. She's got gold medals. We talk about it. I ask her where she keeps her gold medals. You won't believe that. If she gets starstruck by running into anybody around Amelie Arena, and just how much trash talking goes on in girls hockey. It's The Block Party with Seth Kushner, wherever you get your podcasts. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Glad you're with us. We're getting you set for Lightning and Jets tonight. Greg Lanelli with you. The radio voice of Lightning Dave Michigan joins me as he does every day along with Steve Versnick. Game tonight is at 8 o'clock. Pre-game at 7.30. Dave had a chance to uh, catch up with Lightning assistant coach Rob Zettler yesterday, and we wanted to play that interview for you right now. Let's get right to it. On Lightning Radio. So, Rob, uh, the game on Sunday for the Lightning started a stretch 11 games in 11 cities in four different time zones. And yeah. these sorts of segments are more likely to happen for Western Conference teams. And, and you played in the West and you coached in the West. Just wondering, have you been through anything like this before, either as a player or a coach? Oh, yeah, a few times. You know, I played and coached in San Jose and, uh, gosh, we had. Uh, you know, a rink in San Jose was home of uh, a tennis tournament 
every year for a few years in a row. And so we our rink would be done for two and a half weeks. So uh, we literally were on eight, nine game road trips at, at a time. So we, you know, go East Coast swing along with some Midwest teams and try and bang out a lot. And then in turn, you know, you end up getting an eight or nine game home stance. You're home for two or three weeks as well. But it's uh, it's a long time. And uh, we knew this was coming. Like we kind of saw this on the schedule. Our February was, you know, fairly light, obviously, in comparison uh, between, you know, March and April. And I think I don't think we're alone in it either. Um, there's just a whole bunch of games packed into not that many days. And um, so, like I said, we knew it was coming that rest in February where we had two little stints, five day stints was, I think, really important for our team. I still don't think we found our game. It's not where we want it to be, but um, you know, we're working it to get there. So I was interested to hear Ryan McDonough was asked, about a trip like this. He said, I can't ever remember being on a trip like this. Of course, he's played his whole career for teams in the East. Are there any kind of tricks yeah. of the trade for some of these guys that haven't been through it to manage it best you can? I think it's just just making sure you're disciplined off the ice and just getting your rest when you can. That, that, that's the biggest thing. You know, we're pretty diligent about scheduling and organizing the travel so we can best take advantage of um, sleep patterns and and giving guys ample time to rest, uh, setting up you know practice time. So even if there is an hour or two difference, maybe we start a little later uh, practice so the guys can sleep in a little bit because you know you get an extra hour of shut eye every now and then that goes a long way into recovery uh, into feeling better. And you know like on this one we have you know we were on a five day or we had you know obviously the other night in Chicago, last night in Chicago, Winnipeg. Then we had Chicago, Edmonton, Seattle, um, and, you know, like three different time zones, basically. So it'll be um, it, it's just really important. That side of it's really important. And, you know, we're, we're really good, I think, about giving guys days off and giving them that rest. And our guys have always responded. It's never been a question of, you know, whether they're going to work hard or not. It's just a question of, um, you know, making sure they, we give them time to have the proper rest. Wanted to ask you about Mikhail Sergachev because earlier in his career he did play some on the right side, but but certainly the last few years, as you know, the, the Lightning yeah. have tended to like having the righties play the right and the lefties play the left. Sergey's played more on the right side this year. I know some of that was born from injury situations. Chernak was out, but even as as the Lightning have gotten healthy on D, you have elected at times to put him on the right. What has she shown you this year that you're having the confidence to maybe use him more in that capacity? Well, I think that's a that's a, always been a challenge since I got here uh, because Sergey's such a good player. Uh, we want to get him. We're trying to get him some more minutes at the end of the day uh, because we want him on the ice. And uh, you know, he defends well. He's a big guy. He's hard to play against, and he provides some offense for us. So. Um, so what you'll see us do is, you know, we, 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 we're no different. Like, I'm no different. I, at the end of the day, I like a lefty-righty combination. I think it's good for offense. I think it's good for, you know, pulling pucks off the wall offensively, defensively, all of it. Uh, but when you got a player of Sergey's caliber, you gotta you got to try and get him out there a little bit more often. So you'll see us at times uh, flip him up there with, with uh, Hedman. Uh, for an offensive zone face off or when pointers line gets out there, we'll flip them up there with Hedman. So we get, 
you know those guys out there together and and because uh, they can they can dominate some plays. You saw Chicago last night, first part of the third period where they, you know, they just kind of they just took over for 45 seconds in the zone and Chicago didn't touch the puck and it was just they're zinging it around and Sergey's got the ability to do that. Um, so we want to be smart about it, uh, but we also want to take advantage of some offensive opportunities. And then and the other side of it is later on in games, you know, uh, trying to close out a game, six on five situations. We like him out there as well. He's, he's a big body. He can be physical and he skates well. And uh, that makes a difference in those clutch times and those clutch moments. But at the end of the day, I think it's just us wanting him on the ice a little bit more because he's a valuable player for us. In the flow of play in the middle of a game, when you know that you want McDonough and Chernak matched against the other team's top line, whether it's on the fly or let's say you're the road team and you don't get the last change, like how do you do that? How do you how do you anticipate that they're going to be out? Like like let's say Kane's line in Chicago, you mm-hmm. want McDonough and Chernak out there, but you have to kind of wait to see when when Kane goes out there, or do you have a sense in terms of the rotation? You kind of get a feel for the rotation. Um, you know, you, you do your homework prior. Like some, some coaches are, are matchers. So some coaches, I know when points line goes out there, uh, a certain line is going to hop over the boards for, you know, the, the opposing team, whether it's Chicago or not. And sometimes it's their best offensive line, and sometimes it's, you know, what they may consider a checking line. Um, so I know as soon as pointers going over the wall, I, you know, I probably Mac and Cherney are going over because their best offensive line is going to be out there against them. Or, um, so I look for that, but it's more kind of feel like I, I'm watching the other lines and watching the other team, um, kind of looking at their rotation thinking, okay, you know, it's, there's been two lines that have gone out there and, uh, we haven't seen. Like we'll use Keynes for an example. We haven't seen Keynes line in, in two rotations. So is he going to short shift them or is he going to play the fourth line? So that that's when it's decision time, right? Is um, Sometimes you have to double shift somebody and, and uh, hold off on Mac and Cherney. But we, we, we have a real luxury in Tampa. I mean, I, yes, in, in a defensive situation, I'm probably Mac and Cherney are probably playing against their top lines. But I'm, I'm telling you, if it's Hetty and Ruda, if it's Hetty and Sergi, I am 100% comfortable playing those guys against top lines, any any line in the NHL. So uh, I have that luxury. And then, you know, Mac and Cherney takes the heat off of um, some of the other guys to play when they play against their top line, and that allows some offensive opportunity for, for Hetty and Sergi and the other guys. So um, but but if those guys are out there at the time, I, I I'm not rushing anybody off the ice to make it happen. I'm completely comfortable with those guys out there. One more question, just about how you're constructing your your defense pair, and and you touched on it a little bit when you were talking about Sergachev. But it's not like some teams have three pair and the pair go out together, and it's just like lockstep. You've really mixed and matched, particularly this year where. Hedman might play with Sergachev, and the next time he might play with Ruda, and maybe McDonough plays with Chernak, but then McDonough plays with Foot. How do you decide like how to work those rotations because you are mixing and matching maybe a little bit more than than some other teams do? Yeah, probably more so this year than last year for sure. Um, we kind of had the three solid pairs, and I think you'll probably see a little bit more consistency that way. 
uh, moving forward with Bogosian coming back in the lineup, um, looks like he'll probably play tomorrow night. So we'll have Hedy, Ruda, Mack and Cherney and, and Sergi and, and Bogo uh, playing together a lot. You'll still see me flip over um, Sergi up there with Hedman, uh, but you probably won't be as much going on with that uh, moving forward. So it's all, you know, depending on who's who's hopping over the boards for the other team, that's um, kind of what I base my decision on. And, um, again, maybe trying to get some guys in either in offensive opportunities and take advantage of some situations or, or defensive opportunities as well. The last couple of games, we've seen a lot of shots from the defense, a lot of shots from the defense getting yep. through to the goalie. Why has that been so impactful and how have they been able to get their shots through? Yeah. So that's been a real focus the last, well, long before it actually, you've seen it happening <laughs> to be honest with you. Because we just didn't feel like our D were getting enough shots on them, uh, getting enough shots through and getting enough shot opportunities. So we really just started, one, practicing it, two, talking about it, and uh, just encouraging our D to get the put. Like, teams are so good at defending now and getting in shooting lanes and blocking shots. You know, the quicker you can get it off your stick, the better off you are. So if you, you'll notice there's a lot of what we call strong side D shots, and that's when the puck goes from low to high and it's going up to that defense, and we're just encouraging him to – kind of pound that puck and get it on that. It really, it, it, it kind of creates this kind of scramble defensively for you because now you got to turn, find pucks, find rebounds, defend, box guys out from the front of that, and it really causes a lot of havoc uh, defensively. So, uh, and we found that. And, you know, other teams are doing it as well, but we just been, we weren't uh, as effective with it, and we didn't do it enough, and now you're starting to, and you're starting to see our numbers go up too, like, you know, Hedy scored the other night. Um, uh, Sergey scored the other night. Foot scored the other night. That's all based on strong side D shooting and encourage our D more to shoot more. There are some teams around the league that almost as a strategy, they w- just want to get pucks to the net, even if it's a low percentage shot, like Carolina and Florida maybe come to mind. The Lightning haven't necessarily shown that over the years, and it almost seems like they'd rather hold on to the puck for for a higher quality shot. But that runs contrary to what you just talked about with the D. Would you, as a coaching staff, like to see the Lightning just direct more pucks to the net, even if it means it's a lower percentage shot of going in, but it might lead to something else? Well, we we we're very we're very aware of you know where we're trying to take those shots from. So if you're a defenseman, and um, you know we encourage our guys to try to take as many shots as possible when you're in between the dots, um, which is middle ice, because your your shot success, your chance of scoring, chance of rebounds, everything goes way up. Everything goes way up according to analytics when guys are kind of dot area or between the dots. Um, but I think at the end of the day, when you, when you especially when you start a game, um, you start a game and you're encouraging a lot of shots and it really kind of puts guys on their heels. That's when, believe it or not, like a lot of our individual skill will shine through because now you're getting guys, defensive teams, they're a little bit out of place and they're scrambling a little bit and the Kucherovs and points can, can really show their individual skill off a little bit, meaning uh, they can be a little bit creative because it's not predictable, right? They're grabbing a rebound and who knows where it is. And now they make a move or they make a pass to somebody on the weak side or who's open on the, on the back half of the net who's alone. Um, that's when, you know, the, so you establish that shot and that allows more room, more time and gives our skill uh, time to, to kind of shine. And 
we just found it's it's it may be a little simpler, but it's effective. And um, believe it or not, I actually think it gives. You wouldn't think it would be okay. I'm going to shoot the puck more from the point from a distance, but it really does give our skill um, an, an ability to uh, to show off a little bit. That game Sunday against the Hawks, it was a little bit of a weird statistical game because it's not like Chicago had you know 45 shots, but boy, did they have some glorious chances. And I'm just wondering, like as a coaching staff, you don't want to give up chances, but. Does it bother you more when there are fewer chances allowed, but those chances are like super prime dangerous? Or would you be like, would you settle for more chances, but the chances are a little bit more manageable for Vasilevsky? Not that he didn't have, uh, <laughs> he was able to manage the ones on Sunday too, but you know where I'm going with that? Oh, man. Oh, I do. No, I do. Probably I'll take a few more, but less quality. You know, if I that take my chances and knowing who we have in that. Um, but, I mean, to me, to us, you know, as a coaching staff, so we, we won that game 6-3 to three last night. Were we happy with that game last night? Not by a long stretch. Not, not even close. Because we felt that we just gave up way too much. And when you look at the shot clock, you know, it's you know, getting close to the end of the game. and Both teams are in the low 20s. And you think it'd be a defensive game, but it was far from it, to be honest with you. I mean, we gave up some glorious opportunities. And, you know, one hit Vasi's the shaft of the stick, one hit the post, and there's probably six or seven others where he made world-class saves. And I mean world-class saves, like going left to right, going right to left, getting a glove on cane with an open net, uh, pad save coming across left to right. Uh, to bring, you know, stealing or, or stoning to bring out on the power play. So there was just a number, and, and you just don't want to put your goalie in the, those kind of situations. You don't want to count on your goalie to have to make those kind of things. And it's up to us as coaches and players to deny those opportunities because at the end of the day, that that's not that's not winning hockey. That's not winning playoff games. Um, you give up, you know, you play the Floridas. Those types of teams, Carolinas, they're going to eat you alive over a seven-game series if you continue to give up those kind of opportunities. So, you know, that's exactly what we talked about today in practice. You know, we addressed some of that. We showed video on some of that. And uh, hopefully you'll see a little bit tighter team in the next, coming, in the next game for sure against Winnipeg, but in the coming games. Last one for you, Zets, and we appreciate you taking yep. some some time out. This is your second year behind the bench working the D for the Lightning and certainly a lot of success last year. I'm just curious, did you have an adjustment period, both in terms of getting the feel for the team and getting the feel for the specific defensemen? And how long did it take you to kind of get to know them as well as you know them now? Yeah, it took a, it took a little bit. It really did because I think, um, you know, these guys were used to, you know, they've had Todd Richards back there for three or four years now, and they want a Stanley Cup with them. So now you get this new guy coming in and they don't know what to expect. So they're maybe a little bit guarded and um, I got to do my best to make sure that one, I established that relationship, I established that trust. And, um, you know, obviously it worked out last year and, uh, but it did, it did take a little bit of time because it's different. You know, it's, it, I know, I understood it was different for them. They got a different guy behind the bench, maybe saying things differently and, um, you know, at the end, we didn't change anything. We didn't change anything really systematically. 
but it's still someone new back there giving instructions and you know my flow of the game was probably a little bit different than uh the way todd ran it so um there were some adjustments and not some adjustments but just the feel that guys had to get used to and then you know for my part i felt like um i just wanted to make sure um that i wasn't one establishing those relationships with the guys and i feel like i have a pretty good one now uh, but also to make sure you, all these guys you if you look at our d they they're, they're all they're all veterans the guys that know how to play the game um and you know i knew that going in so I didn't want to get in the way too much, but at the same time, I want, I needed to establish a presence. And uh, that's tricky sometimes because you don't want to, you know, kill these guys with video or overload them with information because, gosh, they just came off a cup. They know what they're doing. And uh, they've been in the game for the most part for a while. You know, Hedman, McDonough, even Sergey, even, you know, we got David Savard. There's not a lot I'm going to change on David Savard when we get him for a month and a half. We just – got to make sure he's comfortable and understands what we want from him, what the expectations are. And the, and the other side of it was just getting to know, you know, there's a, every, every coaching staff speaks a language and they have buzzwords and different things that they talk about in different ways, the same thing. So it, it actually takes a little while to, to figure that out and make it uh, so it's kind of rolling off your tongue, no problem. And it's comfortable and it sounds comfortable and you're confident with it. So it took a little time with that as well. Well, Rob, thanks again. Uh, good luck against the Jets and moving forward on this long road trip. Get some rest. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. There he goes. Rob Zettler joined uh, Dave there yesterday. And, partner, great interview. And that couple of things I took from that interview, it looks like Bogosian's going to be ready to go yeah. tonight. <laughs> but also, too, you know, we talk about the Sergachev dynamic. And one thing that struck me, in addition to the injuries and, and having Sergachev play on the right side, I think part of it is they do view him as a top four defenseman and just mm-hmm. want to get him on the ice as much as possible. I think that kind of answers our question when we talk about, you know, look, if need be in the playoffs, if they if they have to shorten things with their back end at times, Sergachev is going to see top four minutes, and whether that's left or right side, it, it probably doesn't matter. Yes, yeah, situational play where they're finding ways to get Sergachev on the ice more, like a minute to go in the period, offensive zone faceoff, Hedman's up, all right, Sergey, go out there. Or like that shift he mentioned at the beginning of the third period in Chicago with the point line out there, Sergey, get out there, spend 45 seconds in the offensive zone. They got a goal out of it. Six on five against. I think that's happened in years past. But maybe not. I mean, maybe based on who else they had, they had other guys they would put in that situation, but they like having Sergachev out there, maybe with Hedman, when they're defending a one-goal lead late in the game and the other team has pulled the goalie. It sounds like they're going to slot him more back left-right when Bogosian returns and also kind of inadvertently then I mean, he mentioned the 6D. It sounds like Bogosian would take foot spot. We'll see. I mean, we'll wait and see what the lineup looks tonight. But if it's Sergachev-Bogosian as your third pair, we may see a little less of Sergachev moving up to the right side. Right. But we'll monitor it. I thought it was also interesting what he said about the, the shot selection. So 
whether the Lightning are going to up their overall shot totals or not, and I guess if they do this, it would have that effect. They want their D to shoot the puck more for a variety of reasons. First of all, it it's, it's good for their defensemen to look to shoot, and it gets them involved offensively. But also, like you heard him mention it, you heard Chernak mention it when he met with the media yesterday, Greg, like it, it softens up the other team's structure. It gets them scrambling a little bit with that shot, save, retrieve game that can sometimes kind of take hold when when you have a shooting mentality. And yeah. definitely they want their D to shoot. I was curious if they wanted to go more of a team-wide thing. And, and if you heard what he said, he referenced analytics. And this is what we were talking about sure. yesterday. Like the Lightning's analytics department took a look at like, where's where's the greatest likelihood of us scoring a goal now i don't think this is like reinventing the wheel we know that mid ice gives you a better chance of scoring but they had data to back that up so i don't know that the lightning are just going to be like firing pucks from the sideboards to the net whereas other teams might do that but they do want to shoot the puck if they're at the dots or between the dots or between the dots up high toward the blue line too well, you know, and I'm wondering, too, if part of that, and it seems pretty logical to say out loud, but sometimes I think people don't have a tendency to look at the obvious. I mean, it's one thing for a team who's not as skilled as Tampa Bay to just say, listen, get pucks than that. I don't care how you do it. Shoot, shoot, shoot. It's another thing to look at it and say, well, Tampa Bay's got some pretty elite forwards and defensemen back there. They may pick their spots a bit more, and maybe they pass up an opportunity for a shot that could be blocked for maybe the perfect play. And while at times, partner, that may get them in trouble, I also think we have to look at the Lightning probably differently than we look at maybe even the Winnipeg Jets or a team who's a high shot volume team Mm. because of the skill sets those guys have back there. I think sometimes we overlook that. Yeah, but you know, he also said that it's kind of counterintuitive, but having that meat and potatoes approach, and he was really talking about the D, yeah, yeah, yeah. not like Kucherov is standing on the left wing along the boards and he just like slides a puck to the net. Right, I don't right. think he's talking about that, which some teams do that. Some teams get a puck and they immediately get it to the net. But what he said was having a simple approach of having a, a shot, save, retrieve mentality actually can help your skill guys. It's almost like, in football, you run the ball to set up the pass, right? Correct. Makes a lot of sense. And, I, again, I I took that conversation. They, I, I think a lot of people have a high opinion of Sergachev. They really have a high opinion of Sergachev. And it's always interesting listening to the coaches talk about yeah. something like that. And uh, they should. Yeah. Sergachev is a heck of a player. It's interesting to hear him behind the bench, too, anticipating, okay, we know that McDonough and Chernak are going to match against the other team's top line, but when you're the road team, you really have to anticipate because you don't have last change after a whistle, and whether you're the home team or the road team, there's some intuitiveness there about, like, all right, when's when's the dangerous line for the other team going to be up next? Yes. And figure that out. So that your players are not are not getting in a rut either. It's like, all right, the non-McDonough-Chernak pair, you're up. No, 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 come back to the bench, right? Like, you don't want to do that. 
you send them out and you want them to take their shift, you just have to make sure that you're sending out the yeah. right guys at the right time. Well, we appreciate Rob there doing that uh, yesterday. Partner, great job there. And uh, we've got the game tonight at 8 o'clock. Pre-games at 7.30. You'll have the call with the Hall of Famer, Phil Esposito. And uh, we'll recap the game tomorrow at noon. Yep. We Look got uh, Dennis Bayak coming up next. So he'll give us some more insight on the Jets side. Good point by you, Dennis, coming up. We're going to break it all down with him to talk about the Jets, so don't go anywhere. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. He is Dave Michigan. I'm Greg Linelli. Steve Ersnick is our producer. Back with more on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. All right, glad you're with us. As we're getting you set for Lightning and Jets, Greg Linelli with you, along with Dave Mishkin and, of course, Steve Ersnick producing. And joining us right now, the TV voice of the Jets. Glad he's on with us to talk about this game is Dennis Bayak. Dennis, first off, thank you so much for coming on. We always appreciate it. And I've got to think, listening to some uh, of the Jets players the other day and obviously the Lightning wanting a better start in this game than the one we saw in Chicago, this should be a pretty entertaining game. Anytime you have the the defending back-to-back champs coming in, and Winnipeg needs all these points, this should be a, a pretty entertaining game. Yeah, if, uh, if you go back over the years, uh, first off, thanks for having me. Uh, glad to be here. Uh, if you go back over the years, the Jets and the Lightning have always had really good hockey games. Uh, they've been fast. They've been entertaining. They've been back and forth. Uh, I'm not sure the Jets want to trade chances uh, with the Lightning, and yet uh, in past games that has happened. And uh, we'll see what happens in this game tonight. But uh, the Lightning, once they got going on uh, Sunday in Chicago, uh, they gave the Hawks all sorts of troubles. And for the Winnipeg Jets, uh, it's really about their game right now, and they have to find ways to get points. Uh, You know, that playoff spot was just sitting there they're chasing a number of teams, and now they've dropped eight back. And you don't want to start getting too far further back than that because you're going to run out of games here. So a uh, lot's on the line tonight, and uh, it should be a good one. I think it's safe to say outside Winnipeg, the hockey world was very surprised when Paul Maurice decided to resign. Did you have a sense that that, that was on the horizon heading into this year? No. No, not on the horizon. I, I always felt that that Paul Maurice would not be fired. I, I always felt that he would be the first to know that uh, it was time for a change, uh, but certainly did not expect it to happen uh, as quickly as it did. Uh, not to happen this year, but uh, it's been a it's just been a strange year here in Winnipeg around the Winnipeg Jets, a team that on paper should be better than it is uh, record wise. Uh, and they've just been unable to put a streak together. And, I mean, they started the year 9-3-3, and and they've won 16 hockey games since. And and that's just simply not enough. Uh, You know, you need winning streaks. Uh, They have been unable to put uh, any kind of a streak together this year since that opening run, and and it's cost them dearly. And then uh, I think Paul Maurice just kind of felt that he had gotten uh, as much out of this team as he possibly could, and maybe a new voice was needed, uh, a new a new way of communicating was needed. Uh, I, I do believe it, it was a bit where I think Paul Maurice realized that this team needed to get barked at a little bit more and maybe pushed a little bit more, and I'm not sure that's his style, and that's just my opinion. 
and uh, I just think he felt it was best to to step aside and uh, and let somebody else take the reins over before they were too far out of it. And uh, it really hasn't changed much. Uh, they still find themselves eight points out of a playoff spot right now. But uh, definitely it was a, uh, a bit of a surprise round here for sure. You know, Dennis, when you take a look at some of these Jets teams over the last few years, uh, Mish and I were talking about this earlier in the show, you always felt like Winnipeg was one of the elite teams, especially in the Western Conference. And I'm wondering, not being able to maybe get over that hump and, and win a cup with that core group of players do you feel like they're kind of in this transition mode of, of retooling, not rebuilding, but retooling, and then making another run with still some of the core pieces in place, but maybe with a, a different cast of characters? Well, Greg, I think, I think that's part of the problem here, uh, big picture, uh, is, is I'm not sure that they've been able to identify where they're at. I think at the start of the year, they knew where they were at. I think they still believed that their top top nine was as good as, as there was in the National Hockey League, or at least the top eight forwards. Uh, they filled a couple of holes on defense with Nate Schmidt and Brendan Dillon coming in. Uh, you go back to the 17-18 season when they had the good run, uh, and, and they went to the conference final against the Vegas Golden Knights, and you still look back at game six against the Nashville Predators, uh, in Winnipeg, if they were able to close that series out and get a few days off before they went up against the Vegas Golden Knights, who knows what's hap- what would have happened. But that's all revision- revisionist history uh, that you can you know go over as many times as you want. And then the big change came on the back end. Uh, Tyler Myers left. Jacob Pruba uh, wanted to play in the United States and had legitimate reasons for doing so. Uh, they lost Ben Sherratt because they simply couldn't afford uh, you know, what, what Ben Sherratt needed to get paid. And then the real killer came a few months later when Dustin Bufflin announces that he's retiring because they could have kept Ben Sherratt. Had that happened a few months earlier, uh, and then they had to really try and fill in on the back end. And to try and find quality defensemen on short notice is not easy in the National Hockey League. And they finally felt this year that they had done that. Josh Morris, he had become a real good player. Uh, Dylan DeMello had become a real steady defenseman for them. They added Brendan Dylan, Nate Schmidt, as I mentioned. They had Logan Stanley coming up. Uh, you know, so, so the defense core all of a sudden got sorted out. Uh, they had Connor Hellebuck in goal, a Vezina Trophy winner. And it looked as though they were going to make some noise in the Western Conference. I was asked at the start of the year where I saw them finishing. And I had them finishing second in the in the division behind the Colorado Avalanche because uh, I just felt this team was was that good. Now, things just a lot of teams got COVID all at the same time, had to shut down because they simply didn't have enough players. That didn't happen here. It went from these two players to these two players to these three players, and it just kept going and going and going and going. Like the top eight forwards at the start of the year, I think have played fourteen games together this year. That's it. So that's been part of it, too. Uh, but I, I know I've rambled on here, but the bottom line is uh, they're not in a transition uh, situation. This was a team this year that was supposed to make some noise in the Western Conference. Well, Dennis, real quick, I, I just I wanted to ask you about the Bufflin. Do you feel like that really shook them, that it, it, it's hard to oh, replace a guy huge. who you weren't anticipating hanging them up and, and that void that he left on back end? Because he's such a unique player. 
For the next two years, every time you talked about what the Winnipeg Jets were lacking, it pointed right to Dustin Bufflin. They lacked a key defenseman. They lacked size on the back end. They lacked physicality. They lacked a bit of an identity. And it all pointed straight to Dustin Bufflin. And uh, it, it, was a, it was a real shocker around here. And it, it did. It set the franchise back. We're breaking down the Jets game here against the Lightning. Greg Linelli with you, along with the radio voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Dennis Back joins us here. He's the TV voice of the Jets. What do you think, Dennis, they're going to do at the trade deadline? Are they going to be big players, or do you feel like they're just going to kind of stand pat and, and see what happens? Well, that is the million-dollar question, and uh, I think there will be lots of uh, meetings uh, right from ownership uh, all the way down to see where they see this franchise. Uh, I mean, they've got Andrew Kopp, who's going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. Uh, they've uh, been in a, in a window where they could have signed him. They haven't. I think Andrew Kopp wants to test the market. I don't blame him. Good for him. Uh, and he's going to get paid very well, plays in all situations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, there's going to be some tough decisions. What happens with Paul Stastny, who's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year? And then comes the big picture, which I don't know whether that'll happen uh, before the trade deadline here. This may be more of an off-season thing. Uh do you shake this group up? Uh, do you simply say we need we need some major changes? Uh, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois has been a real good ad. Adam Lowry has been playing very well. Josh Morrissey has been playing very well. Uh, so there's pieces here. There's pieces here, and, and that's what makes this such a conundrum. But I can see some moves at the trade deadline for sure. Uh, but I think if there's going to be any major shakeup uh, with this personnel, that's probably something that's going to have to happen during the offseason. Dennis, I remember a couple of years ago asking Paul Maurice specifically about Mark Shifley's ice time because he was up around the, the league leaders for average ice time per game among forwards. And that really hasn't changed that much. And I was just curious if, if Paul kind of wanted to play him that much or it was almost like, here I am in the heat of battle, Shifley, you're up. He actually conceded, I'd like to play him less, but I need him. And it, it kind of seems like that's the same way the Jets are constructing things as far as the forwards. You have two guys, Shifley and Connor, who are over 21 minutes a game. And even Andrew Kopp is over 20 minutes a game. Is that by design? Like, do they like to have their top guys, and you mentioned Kopp plays in all situations, play that much? Or... Is it more a function of you're in the heat of battle and these are the guys that you send out because you need a good shift right now? Well, you're chasing games. And I think that's been the one area that uh, of concern here is, is that when you're chasing games, you have to play your best offensive guys. Kyle Connors' numbers are up as well, too, because he's been playing unbelievably well. He's had a terrific year, just a terrific player. And again, he kills penalties, plays the power play, and plays five on five. Uh, you know, Mark Shifley uh, with Blake Wheeler and Paul Stastny is, is a line that on the road, uh, Paul, or Dave Lowry and Paul Maurice before him kind of used as an offensive line if you were down, but also as a defensive line if you were up in the game. So I think that kind of pushes uh, Mark Shifley's minutes up a little bit. Uh, I don't think it's any secret that at times Mark Shifley extends his shifts and, and maybe that pushes his ice time up a little bit as well. Uh, 
you know, and that's something that, uh, you know, they've kind of worked on here. But I think a lot of it just revolves around the situation in the game. You're chasing games. Uh, you have to play your offensive guys. And what's happened here, they went from last year where they had a real veteran fourth line. They lost Nate Thompson. They lost Trevor Lewis. Some of that is dictated simply by salary cap situations. So they've gone back to a younger fourth line, and sometimes that fourth line doesn't play as much, again, for the same reasons. You're up by one or you're down by one. You're going to play your veteran guys, and, and that does push the ice time up a little bit. Quick follow-up, Dennis, and this is the last one from me. Uh, what is the dynamic like with Dave Lowry as the interim head coach and his son Adam Lowry is on the team? I guess the the Sittlers back in the – or the Sutters back in the day. I'm thinking of Daryl Sittler and Ryan Sittler, who was in Hershey <laughs> when I was there. But the, 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 the Sutters back in the day had that. But what has that dynamic been like uh, covering the team? Well, I think it's okay from a hockey standpoint. I don't know what it what it's like for from a family standpoint. Uh, you know, father son, uh, father coaching son is playing. I know Adam Lowry is playing his best hockey the last month here that uh, that maybe he's ever played here in Winnipeg. Uh, seems to have an extra step in his stride and and uh, has been putting up some numbers shorthanded and has been a key to the penalty kill that that has been a lot better from the start of the year. So from a hockey standpoint, I, I don't know if it's a, if it's an issue. I'm not in the dressing room. That's where you don't know. Is there a player who doesn't like the coach? And is there a player who would normally say something in the dressing room amongst his teammates that he's not going to say because Adam is there? Uh, those are the things we don't know. But, uh, you know, I, I think they're both very understanding of, of this situation. Dave's been around this game a long time. Adam's been around this game a long time. I don't think from a pure hockey standpoint it's going, it's an issue. Uh, but again, uh, from a family standpoint, from a inside the dressing room standpoint, those are the areas that we really don't know. Dennis, before we let you go, what do you make of the West in general? I think in the East, a, a lot of people will look at it and say the eight teams are set. It's just a different – you have to have seating there, but there's maybe a couple of elite teams, but then some really good teams below them. How would you handicap the West? Well, especially the Central. You know, all of a sudden, Minnesota has slowed down a little bit, and that's allowed both Dallas and Nashville uh, to kind of close the gap in on uh, on the Minnesota Wild. Edmonton can't seem to find any traction. Uh, Calgary maybe is uh, the best team in the West. Maybe you could argue with, uh, with the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, but there is some spots that are open. A lot of teams are chasing them, and uh, some nights it almost looks like nobody wants to grab that. Dallas is the team that... Uh, as of late, has really turned it around. Big game tonight, Dallas and Nashville. Uh, that could have some effect on the standings. Dallas has a couple of games left with Edmonton yet. Uh, so you're right. The East is fairly much settled, at least as far as the top eight are concerned. Uh, but the Western Conference, uh, you know, Edmonton certainly sees themselves a playoff team. Anaheim doesn't want to go away. The Vancouver Canucks, since the coaching change, have got themselves right back into the mix. And the way it's been going, if the Winnipeg Jets can string three, four wins together, uh, they might find them, themselves right back into it too. But uh, it is a toss-up. Los Angeles has cranked it up to another gear here lately. Uh, you know, and they've kind of created some space for themselves. But the Western Conference, the Central Division especially, is going to be really interesting because of what Minnesota sliding back. You've got Minnesota, Dallas, Nashville, Edmonton, Anaheim, Vancouver. And if the Jets can win a couple, they're right back in it as well. So you've got about six teams fighting for about three spots. So it's going to go right down to the bat, right down to the wire to try and sort that one out. 
Dennis, this was a lot of fun. We appreciate the time. Enjoy the game tonight. It should be a fun one. Yep. You guys have a good day. Thanks. All Thanks, right. Dennis. All right. Dennis Bayak joining us there. He is the TV voice of the Jets. And uh, I think even he, Dave, before we sign off here, is probably a little befuddled as to why this team just hasn't been able to put it together because they have, it looks like the pieces, it just maybe yeah. not having everybody together for an extended period of time might have been one of the, the big reasons they got off to a, a shaky start maybe. Well, they didn't get off to a shaky start, though. As he said, they were 9-3-3 three, and three at the start of the year, but they have slowed down considerably since, and they had the coaching change, and they've had injuries, but a lot of teams have injuries. So he probably is a little rosier than, than I am based on they win a couple of games, they're right back in it. I guess that's true, but as we've talked about, Greg, it's not only the points that you have to make up, it's how many teams do you have to leapfrog, and they have a lot yep. right now. They are, what, 9, 10, 11? They're 12th yeah. in the conference. And they are in the Central Division. So the two wildcard teams, incidentally, are also in the Central Division, which is not like the end of the world if, if, if your division is stronger. But it just means that, like on the Pacific side, if you can get, if you have a path to the top three, then you don't have to worry about the wild card. The Jets have have a tough road to to both get into the wild card conversation and an even tougher road to get into the top three. All those teams, you got to leapfrog. That's what makes it tough, and that's why yeah. you cannot go into some long losing streaks in a parity-driven league that uh, these guys compete in. So we'll see how uh, tonight plays out. I'll be interested to see how the start transpires for Tampa Bay and uh, of course we'll have the game action at 8 pregame coverage will be at 7.30 and Dave you have the call with Chief tonight is that correct? I think it's Phil isn't is it Phil? Steve? Is Phil back in the saddle? Phil, it's Phil. The Hall of Famer. The Hall of Famer yeah. he says you know what? Phil's okay with the 8 o'clock <laughs> Eastern start. I love it. When we get a little bit later well, Chief that, comes in from the bullpen. Well that's good because I'll have Chief then on uh, in the pregame and then during the intermissions which will uh, be a lot of fun. So Dave and uh, Phil They've got the call tonight, and then we'll be back at it again tomorrow, noon to one, breaking it all down uh, as well. Partner, I'll talk to you in a little bit. Thank you. Thank you. Talk to you in a bit. All right. Thanks to Steve Versnick for his help there. Rob Zettler joined us earlier, and Dennis Bayak, Jets TV play-by-play man, also right there. We appreciate them coming on with us. You've been listening to Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.